Bible study, uh, we'll turn to Galatians 4. And, uh, we started into Galatians 4 last week, and uh, we'll continue forward here uh, in this chapter uh, this week, and, and, at least, and at least one more. Uh, but uh, here recently, uh, the book of Galatians has been very, very uh, doctrinal and uh, doctrinally... Um, Geared in in its in its uh, content in its repro- in its approach, um, <clears throat> early on in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul had made a pretty strong personal appeal uh, to the churches there and to the Christians. Um, just to remember the 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 work that that he had done for them and kind of calling them back to remember his his labor and his sacrifice that he had done in accordance with with God's calling on his life, and he's going to take a little bit of a segue here um, in, in the midst of this very uh, doctrinal portion of the, of the book, and he's going to turn back to that and make a little bit more of a personal and a practical appeal to them again, just here right in the middle um, of this chapter. And then at the end, and we'll look at that next week, he's going to turn back again to a more of a, an allegory um, uh, about the law and grace, um, making reference back to the Old Testament again. Um, but uh, started to uh, get into this a little bit last week, um, and uh, the last few verses that we, we, we finished with in last week, we'll kind of go back and look at those um, to an extent here again, because um, he is, uh, he, he's, he's challenging them with the thought that after they had come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, experience the grace of salvation, the goodness and, and the power of God, what could possibly um, make them want to turn back to um, a religion of works, um, back to uh, you know a, a religion of, of multiple gods, of, of capricious gods, of temperamental gods, um, the, the pagan uh, gods of the Greeks, of the Romans, um, and of, of the ancient cultures? That's really what they were dealing with. Um, I read a kind of an interesting book. A um, couple of interesting books, kind of in that in that framework, in the last year or so, and one of the things about all of the um, uh, all of the the, 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 the polytheistic um, cultures is that because there was not one supreme God that created everything to which all things answer, basically every aspect of life was essentially under the purview of a different God. And so there was no cohesion. There was no coherence to nature. There was no, um, there was no um, order in the in the world in the universe. And so, um, really, uh, um, when you think about it, um, as 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 odd as this is to say, and I'm careful how I say this, as odd as this is to say, um, <clears throat> those early cultures thinking that they they had a, a capricious, angry, temperamental God that they had to, to satisfy, that they had to please, um, or else that God would destroy them, led them to do many of the abhorrent things that we think of when it comes to, uh, you know, idolatry and idolatrous practices. You think, well, how in the world could a parent sacrifice a child to, to this false God, to this pagan God? Well, they did that in the framework of a religion, guys. Um, they did it thinking that if they didn't, that God was going to utterly ruin them and utterly destroy them. 
what's happening right now in, 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 a, in, a, uh, a, in our so-called age of enlightenment, if you would, is much worse because it is not even under the framework of trying to please a false god, much less a real god. It's under the guise of trying to please self and, and, and humans and, and all that. We can't get into that tonight. Um, and so he's questioning, he says, you were saved out of this, you're saved from paganism, you're saved from a belief in these gods that at best are not gods. Um, at best, they are just sculptures and their images and their carvings, and they have no power to hear your prayers, um, to meet your needs, to change your life, to, to bless you in any way at all. And at worst, these things are they're devils, they're evil spirits, which, though they may have the power to do something for you, they don't like you, and they're not going to help you. Um, the only thing that they will do, if they can do anything, is hurt your life and cause you to do horrific things in order to try to keep them happy. Um, they're going to call on you to make um, uh, abhorrent sacrifices to them. It's going to call on you to perform abhorrent and perverse things in the name of, of keeping them satisfied, the best, the, the best they could be is, is powerless physical objects, and the worst they could be is, is evil supernatural spirits. And you were saved from that. You were, you were delivered from that by a God who is not capricious, a God who is not temperamental, a God who is not uh, at war with the other gods. Um, and uh, you were saved by him freely, uh, with no expectation of, of works, no expectation of uh, reciprocation, because honestly, there was nothing you could do to reciprocate that God. Um, the sacrifice that Christ made, he made because you literally could not make it in any way, shape, or form. He didn't, again, to go back to a point that we've made a bunch in, in Galatians so far, is that um, he, did not, he did not die on the cross to make salvation easier. He died on the cross to make salvation possible. That's the kind of loving God and, and gracious God that we're, we're talking about and that we're dealing with here. And once you've met that God, what would cause you to go back to paganism? What would, what would cause you then to delve off on the other side and the ditch on the other side and go into some, some kind of vain, dead religion of uh, uh, rites and rituals and um, observances, uh, a form of godliness with no power. And so that's the question he's kind of come to them with here um, in, in chapter 4. And uh, in verse 8 he says, Howbeit then when ye knew not God, ye did service to them which by nature are no gods. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereinto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And um, kind of the thoughts that, that we introduced last week, and at the end of that lesson... Um, kind of the two big categories of reasons why people would turn from faith in God and, and, and faith in, in something that was real back to something that was, was pagan and heathen and perverse or turn to something that was simply just dead and ritualistic is really there's two, two reasons why. 
and um, and we uh, looked at there um, was that one is spiritual immaturity and spiritual insecurity, um, not being well established um, and well enough established in your faith to stand on your faith and stand in your beliefs, and so you are in a a, uh, a Christian would be as a young Christian in, in a place of great vulnerability. We're going to kind of talk about this at, at length here tonight, but um, a, a, uh, a a newly saved soul is is a is a babe in Christ, a newborn babe in Christ, and as newborn babes in Christ, um, they desire you desire the sincere milk of the word. But honestly, that's all you can handle um, is not um, the strong and deep truths of the word of God, but the the simple truths, the basic truths of the word of God, and just like a newborn baby is very vulnerable and very um, helpless in a lot of ways and very dependent on um, its its mother um, on its parents on its family on somebody else to to do all of the things for it for a period of time while that child learns and grows and develops um, uh, strength and, and capacity and all of those things um, to 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 be a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more um, sufficient um, in and of themselves. Similarly, a, a newborn Christian is just as vulnerable. And um, <clears throat> unfortunately, Paul um, had to leave this area very, very quickly. He wasn't able to, to be there and to stay and, and to see these, these newborn babes in Christ through to um, really a place where they, they had a lot of, of spiritual stability. And unfortunately, a, a group of Legalists, the Judaizers, came in behind there, and they took advantage of that situation, and um, and caused um, uh, caused them to stumble, caused them to turn away, caused them to be um, filled with doubt and confusion, and caused them to, to believe some some lies and some deceptions, and and it's it's a, a tragic thing here. It's also the the uh, uh, the reason um, of spiritual injury. Um, you can be hurt. You can be hurt in your spirit. Um, and that's a very real thing. I'm making light of either one of these situations. Um, and, uh, and at times that, that is an intentional act by, by evil actors. And again, I would say that these false teachers that came into the church uh, knew that what they were doing was, was teaching something contrary to what Paul had taught them. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were teaching um, from a Christian perspective, a, a false doctrine. Um, and they were not um, coming to, uh, to, to preach and teach something that was ultimately going to be helpful to these, these new Christians in these churches. Um, they were doing what the Bible calls offending um, these, these little ones in Christ. Uh, Jesus condemned um, uh, those who would cause any kind of an offense to a childism. I think Matthew chapter 18, when the children come to him and said, if, if, if anyone would offend these little ones, it would be better for a millstone to be hanged about their neck and for them to be cast into the sea. And um, that word offense is, is a stronger word than the way we use it. I know I've said this before and I said this last week to an extent. It's a stronger word than the way we use it. It doesn't not include, um, you know, rudeness and, and, and just unnecessary um, uh, an unnecessarily critical spirit and things like that. But it really does go further than that. Um, the word really is, um, uh, for offense, 
in most cases in the Bible, the word is scandalized. It's, it's the word we get scandalized from. It. It's one that, that um, uh, causes someone to fall into scandal or someone to go turn away from the faith and ter- turn into something that is, um, that is sinful, something that is worldly, something that is hurtful, something that is spiritually detrimental. And so when someone is offended, um, another person has laid a, a stumbling block in their, in their path and they tripped over it. They fell because someone did something that caused them to fall. Now, um, <clears throat> to, to get way ahead of myself in Psalms 119, Psalms 119, I think it's verse 165. It's pretty far toward the end, so we're not going to be there for a while. Um, it says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Um, I've heard this verse abused quite a bit, uh, where um, uh, sometimes... Uh, you know, a, a preacher wants to just say, you know, mean things and say, well, you know, I can say, if you really love the word of God, I could say anything I want to you and you wouldn't get your feelings hurt. Well, that's really a, a misappropriation of the word offense. Again, uh, we're never called to offend just to be offensive. We're not called to just, you know, push people's buttons because it's fun or something like that. Um, the Bible is saying that in, in, in knowing the word of God and having a love for the word of God, that we can weather and sustain those kinds of of traps that people would lay in front of us, that 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 your failure, that your um, that your uh, your uh, your uh, intentional or even unintentional um, stumbling blocks that may be set out in front of of my path, things that maybe I don't understand or don't agree with about your life, whether they're right or wrong, um, whatever it is what happens in your life is not going to be the thing that causes my life to be ruined. Paul wrote in um, 1 Corinthians, the church of Corinth, he, he, he challenged them and said that he didn't want their faith to stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And Paul was essentially challenging them to be spiritually strong enough in their lives that if he fell into sin, they wouldn't fall with him. A lot of times it happens, uh, uh, and, and sometimes it's, 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 it's a pretty hard thing to not have happen. Imagine if um, uh, one of the, 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 the men in our church um, fell off into sin. It'd be, it'd be a difficult thing for his, his wife and his children not to be pulled away with that. And it's certainly going to have an effect on their lives either way, but it'd be, it'd be, a, a, it'd be a, a pretty rare thing for the the. the, the, the father to, to fall out of church and fall into sin and fall into the world and, and the, the, the wife and the kids not, not pulled in with him, just the way things go. Churches where the pastor falls into sin and, and often a large percentage of the church membership is offended by that. In the, in the real sense, they were offended by that. And um, I've met many people who will not go. They grew up in church, saved, they can quote more Bible than, than, than I can, but they will not go to church because a preacher in a church they went to one time was, was, was dishonest or was hurtful or, or was um, involved in, in secret sin and it came out. And you know what? Kind of almost don't blame them, right? But, uh, but you can also point and say the problem also with that is not that, not that the preacher was not wrong. He absolutely was, but your faith was built a little bit too much on that preacher. Your, your faith was built a little bit too much on that, that parent or that spouse and 
not enough on Jesus Christ if their failure caused you to fall. If their loss of testimony caused you to lose yours. Now he's going to get into this, this matter of how we as, as mature Christians, as, as older Christians, should never use our liberty in Christ as a stumbling block. He's going to turn this around on us uh, and, uh, as, as not, he's going to turn it around the other way too. He's going to say, um, not only should you not stumble at somebody else's failure and stumble at somebody else's false beliefs, but you also shouldn't be part of the problem either. That's, that's later. That's, a, that's in chapter 5. Um, but he's going to start here. He's going to say, hey, uh, kind of the, the question he asked at the beginning of chapter 3 is, who hath bewitched you? Uh, who was it that, that, and why is it that it was so easy and so quick for you to fall away from the faith because of what somebody else said or did? Now, the fact of the matter is, is we all start out as, as very vulnerable. We can't not, right? Um, you can't start out as a full-grown, mature Christian. You're going to be young in the Lord at some point in your life. You're going to be a young person uh, lacking wisdom and lacking experience at some point in your life just by virtue of, right? Now, maturity is not an age that you arrive at, but it certainly is a process that you have to go through. And so there is going to necessarily be a time where you're a young Christian because you're a young Christian. Now, how long you stay a young, inexperienced, immature Christian, kind of up to you. I mean, to some extent, that's a little bit in your hands. Um, we, we, can, we can get into the Word of God, and we can learn the truth, and we can really commit ourselves to it, and we can kind of accelerate uh, that process. But all of us are young Christians for a period of time. And while we are young Christians, we are very vulnerable to people who would take advantage of it. And this is what he's, he's challenging them with here tonight. Um, these Galatian Christians had been offended, uh, but they were also convinced by the ones who had actually committed the offense against them that Paul was, was the culprit. And so it was a, it was a really slick um, presentation and manipulation that, that, that these Judaizers had performed. They came in and they, they caused the offense. They're the ones who came in and taught lies. They're the ones who came in and taught false doctrine and then turned it around and said, and you know who lied to you? It was Paul. And so now these people that, that Paul had invested his life in and had, had challenged with the word of God and reached with the word of God now think that he's the enemy. We're going to come to the, the point there of our title is uh, found there in uh, verse 16 when Paul asked the question, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And uh, we'll kind of work our way towards that. But this, this passage, I think, is going to help us to identify who is truly a friend and who is truly an enemy, who is truly the one causing the offense and who is the one who's trying to, to help us and, 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 and protect us and, and teach us. And, um, and, and so we'll see some things out of this passage. Matthew chapter 7 um, and verses 15 through, through 20. You don't necessarily have to turn here, but these six verses are important. The Lord said this is toward the end of the, uh, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. The Lord said to uh, his disciples there, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather 
grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And so Paul's going to challenge them with this thought. He's going to say, you know, forget, you know, forget the accusations that are being bandied about. Let's just look at who's doing what in this situation. Let's, let's see what the fruit of, of my teaching has been and the fruit of their teaching has been. And, um, and that's going to be kind of the, the, the criteria by which he's asking them to judge who is right and who is wrong here. And it's one that I think that we can use also to kind of discern um, who's actually trying to help us and who is actually trying to help themselves. And, and that's really the, what it comes down to here tonight. And so first there, and those verses we read, um, how, how do they view vulner- that, that vulnerability that we've been talking about? Someone who's been, someone who's young in the Lord or someone who's, who's, who's been injured and they're, they're, they're spiritually um, delicate and spiritually sensitive. What are they doing with that vulnerability and how are they viewing that um, the Galatians were, were, were vulnerable because they were, they were young Christians. They were immature in the faith. Um, they had they'd been told a lot of confusing things. Some of them had come out of, of some hurtful things. Now the, the one who led them to Christ um, is being accused of being um, basically the bad guy. And, and so there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of hurt there. And, and built on top of, of, of a pretty small foundation um, to begin with. And so the Galatians were vulnerable. They were immature in the faith. Paul wanted them to grow in grace and in knowledge of Jesus Christ. The, the, the Judaizers wanted to make disciples for themselves. We look at another place here um, it, it, toward the end, of, is, but Paul giving a warning to the Ephesian um, elders before he heads back to Jerusalem and one of the last things he says is they want, there will be some that want to make disciples uh, to themselves or for themselves. And this is what the Judaizers wanted. They didn't, they didn't want to, um, they didn't want to build the, 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 they didn't want to promote the cause of Christ. They didn't want to win souls. They didn't want to help other people, not in the, in the true sense of the word. Uh, they wanted to have a following to themselves. They were like the Pharisees that, that the Lord condemns in the Gospels when he said that they, they just want to be called master. They want somebody to, to look at them and, and, and hold them in high esteem. And so they were searching after a following for themselves, and they weren't, um, uh, they weren't uh, primarily concerned in their, in their teaching with helping other people draw closer to Christ. <clears throat> and so I mean, kind of two questions there. Do they, do they want to pull you to themselves, or do they want to push you towards Christ? And Paul is kind of asking that question, um, in essence, uh, uh, which one of us is trying to help you draw closer to Christ? And which one of us, which, which group of us is trying to just amass a following for ourselves? These, these wolves were seeking, they were, they were seeing this, this vulnerability, this, this immaturity. And with that, the insecurity, the instability that they, these Galatian Christians had. And they saw that as an opportunity to exploit. They were looking at it as, as, as easy pickings, right? They were looking at it as low-hanging fruit. They were looking at it as an opportunity for them to 
kind of go somewhere and, 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 and kind of get their way and, and amass themselves a following and maybe, and maybe through this um, uh, uh, accomplish themselves a, 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 a nice living. Um, uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, you know, we see sometimes um, these, uh, these, these preachers on TV who have really nice houses, really, really big, nice houses and fancy cars and, and you know, private jets and all of these things, and they make all kinds of, 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 of equivocations about why that's necessary for the ministry or whatever it might be. We find out that, that, that their ministry was built for that purpose, for that express purpose of amassing to themselves a big enough following for them to get a really, really, really big paycheck um, year by year, whatever it may be. I saw a story here um, on a, uh, about a, a guy that, that uh, um, <clears throat> basically pretended to be a missionary on deputation. I don't know if you've heard this story. There was a guy who pretended to be a missionary on deputation, and he essentially raised for himself a few million dollars of, of, of love offerings and, and even monthly mission support, and he was not a missionary to anything, anywhere, not even, not even the street that he lived on here in the United States of America. He was just faking it the entire time and um, was able to really build hundreds of churches out of hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of several years. Um, and he was, he, was a, he was a false prophet. He was, he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And uh, there are those that will see these kinds of opportunities. They'll see a young Christian. They'll see a hurting Christian. And they'll see an opening to insert themselves in and exploit that person. Uh, another, another story. I didn't hear all these bad stories. Sorry, they're all negative illustrations tonight, I guess. But another guy who um, uh, joined a church in Florida that had a lot of, of retirees, and he used, um, he used, the, uh, he used the, the, the common thread there of being church members together um, uh, really to con many, many members of that church. It was a large church. I think it was over 1,000 members of that church. And con many, many members of that church out of hundreds of thousands of dollars in some kind of investment scheme. But he used, he used the, the, the common thread of, of being church members and brothers and sisters in Christ and the whole thing. And he spiritualized his, his con man scheme in order. And he ended up getting um, all told over the years about $30 million out of these people. Something should have clued him in when he started driving a Lamborghini to church. I mean, I don't know. You would just think that at some point they'd be like, you know, I don't think he's investing our money. Um, there, are, there, are, there are evil actors out there who will take advantage and they'll see the delicate position that some, some people are in and they will use it as, a, uh, as an opportunity to exploit them and get what they can out of them. Now again, the vulnerability exists. Someone who's young in the Lord is young in the Lord. Nothing they can do but grow over time. Someone who's been hurt has been hurt. And there's nothing that, 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 that they can do but heal by the grace of God over time. And as, and as um, brothers and sisters in Christ and the church and the leaders in the church, we, we need to see that. And rather than take advantage of that, we need to circle the wagons and protect those people. 
And that's what Paul was trying to do. He said, I'm not, I see that you're young in the Lord. I'm not trying to take advantage of you in your immaturity in Christ. I'm trying to help you mature in Christ so that you won't be vulnerable to the lies and the deceptions of false prophets and so that you won't be vulnerable to the, the temptations and the snares of the devil. I see that some of you have been hurt by things that have happened to you, and I'm not trying to take advantage of that situation. I'm trying to help you heal and find um, grace in the Lord to go forward from that. A true friend and a true leader sees these vulnerabilities as spiritually dangerous situations and spiritually dangerous breaches in their spirits that need to be strengthened and, and shored up rather than taking advantage of them they will try to help protect and defend them until there's some strength and some stability and some some security and and, and some healing and some maturity there i guess to summarize it a bad leader would see their followers vulnerabilities and try to profit from them a better, a better leader, a good leader, um, would see those same vulnerabilities and, and try to at least lend, offer some protection to those things. Protect the, protect the young and protect the, the vulnerable and the weak and the hurting and the, the sick. I think a truly wise leader would see those and not only protect them, but also try to prepare them. Think about a parent. Um, of course, we, again, to go back to that illustration of a, of a, of a child that's born when they're, when they're, young and, and, and helpless we do everything for them and as they grow they gain a little bit more ability and they gain a little bit more um, a capacity and, and independence in the process and but still a lot of protection is needed for our, our, our children as they grow and we we give that to them but one of the things a, a, a good parent does that right but one of the things that a, a, a wise parent is going to do is while we're protecting them we're also slowly and surely teaching them and preparing them and and helping them to, to grow so that when there is a point where we can no longer protect them, they are ready to face the, the dangers that are out there for themselves. That's what parents are trying to do. And what a godly leader is trying to do in the church is protect and prepare those in the church so that they can handle the, the spiritually dangerous situations, the temptations uh, of the devil and the snares and all those things. And so how does, the kind of first distinction there is, is how Paul was viewing and, and, and making, I don't know, making use of, of this situation as opposed to uh, the, the wolves in sheep's clothing. Moving on from there in verse um, Verse, verse 12 says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you first at the first, my temptation which was in my flesh. Ye despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of, for I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them, me, given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now, a little bit of context before I give you the, the notes there. Um, <clears throat> kind of a uh, kind of a widely widely suspected that Paul, we know Paul had an infirmity in the flesh, a thorn in the flesh. It's kind of widely suspected based on. Um, verses like this 
that had something, at least one of them had something to do with his eyes. He had some kind of malady in his eyes. And um, we don't know if that seemed to certainly affect his vision, but it, it seemed to also be something that was, was noticeable, um, something that was apparent um, uh, to, to people just by just by, by looking at him. They could see that there was a problem with his eyes, and we don't know exactly what that would have meant. But here early on, he, he's referencing the fact that when he, when he was there originally and, and was was ministering to them and sharing the gospel with them and they were getting saved and getting grounded in the word of God that they loved Paul so much, they were so appreciative to him for his ministry and for his faithfulness that they, if they could have done it, they would have donated their eyes to him so that, that Paul could have had um, uh, perfectly um, functioning eyes that didn't have the problems that his eyes apparently had and they loved him so much they wished they could have you know, traded places with him essentially. And then something switched along the way, and now they've gone from loving him so much and appreciating him so much that they would have donated their eyeballs to him, as living donors donated their eyeballs to him if they could have, to now they, they, they're mad at him, and they're angry with him, and they view him as, as the bad guy. They view him as, as the enemy. And, um, and the only thing that's changed here is this infiltration of these, these wolves in sheep's clothing, this, these, false, these false teachers and false prophets that have come into their midst. The Galatians were initially very loyal to Paul, and something changed. And, and uh, when we think about what it, what it would be to really kind of have some discernment in this is the question of loyalty and, and how a, a, a leader leverages that loyalty that you you feel towards them. And that, that, I think that's a natural thing um, when we are working together side by side. We're um, in, the, in the spiritual trenches together. We're in the battlefield of, of prayer and the word of God together. Uh, we're going to develop some loyalties and some affinities toward one another. And that's, um, that's not, a, not a bad thing. It can also be um, one of the reasons why very often it's so hurtful when um, when, when, that, when that leader lets us down, um, and that's going to be a hurtful thing if a, if a leader lets us down, if a, if a pastor lets you down, or if a, um, a, a church leader lets you down, or even a family member lets you down, that's always a very, very hurtful thing. Um, here, uh, Paul had, had earned their loyalty early on, and, um, they, and they loved him greatly. Uh, but the uh, the Judaizers came in and really corrupted that, and um, and one of the things that <clears throat> I think influenced this was was the message. Um, again, to, to just kind of give you both of them here at the same time, you could probably fill these in without even looking. But were they um, were they telling you what you want to hear, or are they telling you what you need to hear? I remember um, I remember being uh, told. <clears throat> taught this about loyalty and um, I think it's, I think it's a, a pretty true and concise statement and, and loyalty begins at disagreement we've never heard that before right um, uh, loyalty begins at disagreement that um, until you've had a, a disagreement with somebody you don't really know if you're loyal to them or if they're loyal to you um, and, and you don't really know if, what the strength of that is because when we're just all getting along uh, there's no real, there's no real test. There's no real strain. There's no stress um, on the on the, the relationship. There's no stress on on the mission. There's no stress 
There's no uh, challenge to the, the bigger picture. Um, and, and here's a real, a real test of loyalty. And the, the Judaizers came in, uh, basically they came in um, telling, telling these Galatians kind of what they wanted to hear, kind of changing and altering the message. And um, they came in telling them lies. They came in um, uh, with, with, a, with a, a message for itching ears. Um, you can imagine that um, while they were imposing some things in, in, into the message along the way uh, in, in leveraging that in, there were, there were absolutely some things that they, they were not, some, some topics they were not getting into because those things might have, uh, have, have caused, um, uh, caused people to, to step back and, and, and kind of question what was going on there. Now, Paul... His, uh, his method was always, um, his, his message was always the same. Uh, his methods were always the same. He, he didn't mince words. Maybe um, if you could almost say it to a fault, but he, he, he didn't mince words about things. He, he said what he believed, and, um, and he said what needed to be said. Paul gave them the gospel, not his own message. Paul gave them the word of God, not his own ideas and opinions, um, and, um, and, and he, <clears throat> the loyalty that he earned from them was, was legitimate loyalty. He, he wasn't uh, buying, buying them off with, um, with, with niceties and lies and, and promises. He was uh, challenging them with, with the truth and, and truly trying to um, make a difference in their lives um, and, uh, <clears throat> and earned a, a true sense of loyalty here and um, the, the loyalty that, that uh, the, the Judaizers attained, I guess, in the churches of Galatia was one that could not coexist if they had loyalty to Paul. And that's a problem, right? Um, that's a problem. If, if, if you have a friend who can't be your friend if you are someone else's friend, that's a problem, right? If... if, if and this is not, uh, you know, again, so I mean, some, 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 some things work and some don't, right? But it's not a marriage, right? It's not like you can't be my wife if you're her wife, like, you, like right? Like you can't. Um, or I said that wrong, didn't I? You can't be my wife if you're his wife. That's what I. That's what I meant to say. Uh, it's not one of those situations, right? This is like, uh, this is the this is the division that, that sprung up in in Corinth, right? Um, where there was divisions in the church unnecessarily. Well, you know, we were baptized by Paul, and you guys were only baptized by Peter, and you guys were only baptized by Apollos, and like he wasn't even an apostle; he was just some guy. Um, and, and, and Paul was like, "Those kinds of divisions of the church are unnecessary. Like you can, you can, you can have can have been baptized by by me, and still." Listen to what Peter has to say, because he's, he's preaching the truth, right? We have, we have unity. We can have unity inside of the truth. And so anytime someone comes in and says, well, um, we, can only, we can only hang out if, if, uh, if you change all of these things about what you're doing, and all of those things what you were doing were not sinful things, not wrong things, they were biblical things, and now all of a sudden they're changing the, the rules, that's a problem. This is what they were doing here. And, and so they, they, they kind of 
insisted that, that, that Paul be the boogeyman in order for, for them to accept their leadership. And then verses 18, 17 and 18, there uh, of those, is, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And then verse 17 says, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. How do they then demand devotion, or, or what, it, what is it that they, they say proves, proves your, your faith, proves your devotion? The Galatians were zealously affected by the Judaizers. Now they had been zealously affected when Paul was there, now they're being zealously affected by the Judaizers, but in a different way. He says, you've been zealously affected and not well. And he says, it would be good for you to be zealously affected. That's not a bad thing. Zeal in itself is not a bad thing. Zeal is kind of a um, kind of an amoral thing. It's just a way about doing something. Um, and when he's talking about zealously affected, he's saying they were simply um, inflamed with, with, with passion to a point of action. Now that can be inflamed with a with a good desire and a and a good goal to a point where you do something about it, or that can be inflamed with a passion or a desire or a thought um, uh, towards something that is hurtful, and you do something about it. So the zealous the, the the zealously affected is not the bad thing or the good thing. It's to what end? It was the the means to to which end, and the end was what mattered. He said, you were zealously affected, but not well. See, the, the Judaizers uh, had, had called them to prove their devotion and commitment to their, to their teachings, to their false doctrine, and like in some very, very tangible ways. They said, for you to be saved, you have to come under the law of Moses. You have to observe the rites and the rituals and the codes and the, um, the, the ceremonies and the feasts and, and all of the observances and sacrifices and offerings and everything that the, the law of Moses states that you must. And these, these people were sincere enough to prove that they were saved to these guys who were teaching this, that they, they did those things. They, 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 they put themselves under the constraints of the law they they subjected themselves to the dietary law and they subjected themselves to the restrictions on the sabbath and they were restricted themselves to um uh to observing the 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 feasts and all of those things they were zealously affected but not well not not to something that was profitable not to something that was was necessary or important and so we have to ask what is the the function of the zeal what is, what is the function of the zeal? For these false teachers, it was to prove, it was for the, 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 the new Christians to prove their, their loyalty and their commitment. I think it's worth noting when you read verse 17, it says, they zealously affect you, but not well. But then it says, yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. And it's saying that, <clears throat> The loyalty in this relationship, the commitment, the devotion in this relationship was not a two-way street. They came in and they said, um, if you want to prove that, that you really want to be a Christian, you've got to do all these things. You can believe in Christ, but you also have to do all these things. But 
there was no there was no reciprocity in any way. There was no show of devotion back to them. They weren't in uh, putting themselves in the same in the same boat. They weren't. You almost get the impression they weren't holding themselves to the same standard they were holding the Christians of Galatia to. They want they want they wanted those Christians to start counting their steps on the Sabbath day, but they weren't counting the steps on on the Sabbath day for themselves. Uh, they, they wanted the, the Galatian Christians to adhere to the dietary law, but maybe, maybe they weren't. It gives the impression that they were keeping the, the Christians in these churches at arm's length um, and not allowing them to be affected by them. But Paul said in verse 18, it's good to be zealously affected always in a good thing and not only when I am present with you. Again, um, the, 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 the fruit of the zeal, the, the product of the zeal, the, the end goal was, was what mattered. It wasn't just enough to be zealous. Paul talks about in another place um, of those that had zeal but not according to knowledge. They're all full of energy and activity and get nowhere. <laughs> And, 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 and accomplishing nothing. Um, it's what one, one preacher used to say. It's like running a race in peanut butter, right? Like it takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy and you don't get anywhere very fast. I don't know what that means. Needy peanut butter? I don't know where that exists. But um, zeal in itself is not the end. Now, zeal, to be zealous for a good thing is a wonderful thing. And, and, and we should have zeal for right things, but the right thing should come first. And knowing what the right thing is should come first and then um, pursue it zealously. For the Judaizers, they, the fruit they sought was a following and the Galatians were simply deceived into becoming that for them. And a, and a zealous following for them, Paul sought spiritual fruit in their life that was enduring and remaining even when he was not there. Uh, Paul wanted them to be blessed by the Lord, and, and he didn't just want that church to be blessed while he was there. He didn't want to, um, this is a funny thing about preachers, um, uh, the, kind of the, the, the pridefulness of, of preachers sometimes is, is uh, that we, we want things to kind of go poorly, and we secretly kind of want things to go poorly when we're not around, right? Like we, like we, we want the guy, oh, you're on, go on vacation, you want the guy, and I'm sorry guys to admit this, um, this is this is. You want the guy that, that, that fills in the pulpit for you to not be that good, right? Um, I don't know. You know like this, we're all you know, prideful and sinners and all of that, right? Paul Paul was actually like, no, like I I want there to be good preaching there when I leave. I want there to be soul saved. When I leave, I want there to be missionaries supported after I leave. I want the church to do better with me gone than it did with me there. And there were times actually in the book of Acts where in order for the church to thrive, Paul left to kind of get the, 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 the persecution, uh, the intensity of the persecution to kind of diminish so the church could thrive in that community. Paul was not so selfish that, uh, he, that, that, that he would rather see the church fail um, than, than survive because of his own ego. And <clears throat> we're looking for, 
we're kind of looking at, at this situation and we're looking at you know, who, who really wants what is best for the church and who wants best, what is best for my, my family, who wants what's best for, for me and my walk with the Lord. We're looking for someone who wants us to do well after they're gone. We want someone who, who wants us to, or um, even willing to, to have us exceed their, their, their efforts and their, um, their, their accomplishments in the Lord. It's a wonderful thing when, when, a, when a pastor um, retires and is excited to see a, another pastor come in and take the great foundation that he built and take it to a new height and a new level. It's rare, but that was the spirit that Paul was modeling. That was what he wanted for these churches in Galatia was that they would do well without him being there. They would do well um, without it. And that's certainly not the spirit that the Judaizers had. They wanted for themselves a following. Again, I said I would reference this in Acts chapter 20, and I close, close with this. Um, Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30, Paul is talking to the elders at Ephesus before he leaves them really for the last time ever. And he says, under, he says to them, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. There's always a risk in the context of the church that false teachers will try to infiltrate and even try to rise to leadership and will try to pull away a following um, to themselves. A wise leader, a good leader, a wise leader uh, over the flock and in the flock and, and, and wise parents in, in, in homes will see the vulnerabilities of, of the young and the immature and the weak and the hurting and will give the protection that's needed, give the support that's needed, um, and not try to take advantage of that, but try to um, protect and, and, and strengthen those situations. Um, will not use the excuse of loyalty to try to... Um, to, to, again, exploit that as a concept, exploit things out of people because of personal loyalties or something like that, will not demand um, um, uh, proofs of, of devotion and commitment, if you would. And, um, and there was a, a pretty glaring distinction between Paul and the Judaizers when you put it in those terms. And this is what he was trying to get them to realize, was that he was not their enemy because he was the only one who loved them enough to actually try to help them grow in the Lord. And, um, and that's what we should be, and that's what we should also um, insist on in those that we, we allow to have influence in our lives. Um, let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer. And we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for church and, and for the, the, the time here in the Word of God. Bless, Lord, the, uh, the message and, and the thought, Lord. Help us, Lord, to both be and, and to seek out um, godly leadership in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would um, know, your, uh, know your, your, your peace and your comfort. And, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, 
Lord, you'd work in our lives, Lord, in a special way. Lord, help us now as we go forward and just give wisdom and grace to us now uh, for all of the, the challenges that we face. And we pray for all of these things in Jesus' name.